1: To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This is a special Daily Tech
2: News Show Roundtable. Today we'll discuss Section 230 of U.S. Code Title 47, a.k.a. Safe Harbor, a.k.a. Political Weapon. It's a section that has recurred as a talking point in the regulation of Internet companies, particularly social media companies like Facebook and Twitter. And we want to know a little more about what it is and what it isn't. And to help us understand it, we have two excellent guests. Joining me today, Shoshana Weissman, Senior Manager of Digital Media and a Policy Fellow at the R Street Institute. Shoshana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Also joining us, Mike Maznick, founder and CEO of the Copia Institute and editor of the Tech Dirt blog. Mike, great to have you here.
3: Yeah, thanks, thanks for inviting me. This will be fun.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We should say up front, uh, of course, our discussion here is not a substitute for nor does it constitute legal advice. Uh, the goal of this discussion is just to explore some of the legal issues surrounding CDA 230. Uh, and I'd like to start just by reading the central text of Section 230. It's not the entirety of it, and there are even some important implications of the part I'm not going to read. But this is the the central graph. Uh, it's the paragraph titled Treatment of Publisher or Speaker. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Uh, There's also a section right after that on civil liability that offers further protections for taking certain moderation actions. But essentially it's saying, if I post something on your computer service, you are not treated as the publisher or speaker of what I posted. All right. So I want to get each of your opinions on what you think Section 230 is designed to do. Shoshana, let's start with you.
4: Sure. So um, the way I like to put it, especially because I'm often talking to people who are coming to this for the first time, it's just that each person is liable for his own stuff. That's all it comes down to. That if I say something, I'm liable for it. It doesn't matter where I say it. If um, it's in the comments section of the New York Times, if it's on Twitter, if it's on Parler, when that's back up, you know, wherever it is, I'm the speaker. And if they moderate stuff, if they try to clean up their platform in whatever way they see fit, um, then they're still not liable for it. And they're not liable for Taking my speech down, um, it just it, it neatens up the liability and it takes away huge regulatory and litigation costs that would otherwise be associated with it. Um, that would stop competition. Um, some people worry about competition, but the best way to get rid of competition is by uh, harming 230.
2: Yeah. So if, if I if I've got you right, it's sort of the idea of like if I decide to take down a post, that doesn't s- suddenly make me responsible for all the posts. Exactly. Mike, does that jive with what you believe Section 230 is designed to do?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right, and it's a perfect description. I mean, you know, another way of of thinking about it, I guess, is just, you know, telling the courts where the actual liability should lie. Um, You know, and, and when 230 first came about, honestly, I... My, my gut reaction was that we didn't need it because it seemed so obvious that mm. the person who's actually doing the speaking uh, should, should be the one <laughs> responsible for it. Uh, but I have learned certainly over time that that a lot of people seem to have trouble with that. And some of it is just the the nature of the legal system that people like to go after the the deep pocketed company or, you know, deep deep-pocketed player in, in any kind of dispute. But the, the basics of 230 are exactly as Shoshana described. It's, it's just saying the person who speaks or the person who actually violates the law, assuming there's some sort of law violation going on, they're the one who is responsible for it. And the tool that they use to, to post or host that speech uh, is not the one who is liable, uh, even if they are you know uh, deciding to moderate their their space.
2: Yeah, it seems like one of the effects of 230, going to what you said about was it even necessary, was to to just reduce the number of court cases needed to draw the line for the Internet, to say we're going to draw the line here.
3: Yeah, I I think that's exactly, you know, because 230 was passed in response to two different cases that began to test that, you know, one of which was decided mostly correctly um, with a few oddities, and and one of which was decided very, very weirdly in that, you know, that case being the Stratton-Oakmont versus Prodigy, uh, Stratton-Oakmont. the the now famous company that was portrayed in the Wolf of Wall Street, uh, for, you know, basically a whole bunch of fraudulent activity. You know, somebody had said on a prodigy message board, you know, accused that company of being fraudulent. Uh, and because prodigy advertised itself as a family friendly space in which they moderated content, uh, you know, the Stratton Oakmont argued before a judge that, you know, since they had done some moderation and had left up these claims of fraud, that meant that prodigy was liable for them. And this judge in New York uh, agreed with them. Uh, and And that created all sorts of big questions, you know in part because you know the the natural incentive, if that is true, is that companies have you know what some people refer to as a moderator's dilemma, which is either that they do no moderation at all because the second you touch it, then you're suddenly liable for everything that you leave up. And in that case, your, your platform fills up with you know, you know, spam, abuse, harassment, hatred, all this kind of stuff that, that might drive away the, the actual people you're trying to attract. Or you, you go in the other direction and you moderate so heavily that you have to sort of pre-approve everything and you lose all the sort of dynamism of open conversation on, on your website.
2: Yeah, I I I look at the there I don't know if the right way to put it is a copyright exemption, but but copyright intellectual property is called out uh, in Section Two Thirty as yeah. you know something you're you're not allowed to violate. And you see in a different situation, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act being used as a threat as a way to keep speech down uh, because you're saying ah, I think you're you're violating my copyright here. And Section Two Thirty prevents that from happening in other cases, it seems like. Does that sound right to you guys?
3: yeah i i I think um that's exactly right and in fact it's a really good comparison it's one that i wish more people would make uh, because we do have these two different regimes one for copyright and one for non-copyright stuff and the copyright one is uh, because 230 exempts copyright and then we sort of backfilled that in with the dmca section 512 which has this sort of notice and takedown provision which works even though people think they're kind of similar it works very differently than 230. 230 just is an immunity, says you are not liable. 512 says we have this whole thing. You know, if you're a website that has registered with the copyright office, which is a pain and they keep changing the system, which is a disaster, uh, You know, and you follow certain rules, including if you receive a valid notice, you then take down that content, uh, that removes your liability. And that's very different than 230. And so what we see is that the dmca notice and takedown provision is abused widely and there have been lots of reports and studies on this and how many you know fraudulent or or misleading or just you know ridiculous claims that are made under the dmca because it puts tremendous pressure for companies to take down that content you know otherwise they might be liable in court and so the incentive structure there is like of course just pull it down so we don't have to face this issue in court and so you know a change to to cda 2 uh, 230 in that direction likely is going to lead to the same situation where a lot of sites just start pulling down lots of content just to avoid having to deal with it in court.
2: Shoshana, what do you think some of the major misconceptions about Section 230 are?
4: Oh, it's so hard because there's so many. Um, this <laughs> is much what much? I spend my day doing. <laughs> um, so I think I'd probably start with that people think somehow it stops free speech. All it is is a liability thing. You might not like the way people are moderating, but that's a First Amendment issue. That's not a 230 issue. Um, 230 just says they're not liable for stuff that isn't their own. Um, so that that's a really big misconception. Another thing, um, like Mike was saying about the moderator's dilemma, um, both the left and right have this on and, and pretty much all sides except for the people who kind of understand 230, think that if you get rid of it, just somehow miraculously the internet is going to (laughs) happen in the way they want it to happen. Mm. The things they don't like won't be there or everything will be there, but there won't be bad stuff. Um, So on the right, they think it'll just allow all speech. And you have a lot of people say, well, we should just have the first amendment standard. Um, And that's the moderator's dilemma side of allow everything for the most part. Um, but what if there's illegal content? Oh, well, you can take that down. But can you? Because it's hard to tell if something is liable. Um, you know, something that might just seem mean in one context might end up being libel in another or even um, uh, child exploitative content. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, which is which, let alone like all kinds of illegal content. What's a real threat? Some guy trying to keep his forum neat isn't going to be the best position. Even a lawyer might not know if he doesn't know the full facts. And you can't go and investigate every single post to figure it out, Um, let alone like legal content like spam or harassment or just annoying posts. Um, You know, I spend quite a bit of time blocking people and that's with lots and lots of moderation. That wouldn't get any better. Um, And the left thing, oh, well, this will just get rid of content we don't like. Um, But again, that's not how it would work. It might go to fully open or super closed and allow so little there. And when you have that liability, that just takes away from a lot of stuff that the left um, and I think the right would be into, like the Me Too stuff. That wouldn't have been able to happen uh, without 230, and it definitely wouldn't have been um, able to really uh, pop up on social media. It would have been pressed down by other things, um, or it just wouldn't have been allowed up. Um, one example I really like to use too, is I have a ton of autoimmune diseases. My body's a wreck, mm. it's totally fine. <laughs> but I've learned um, a lot of treatments, a lot of uh, leads for doctors through through um, online forums. I Google my symptoms and then they're like, hey, check out this kind of doctor because you might have this and I get a diagnosis. But could you imagine the risk and the liability of uh, posting medical advice um, on an online forum? Um, While well, people with autoimmune diseases like me know that um, there's a long history of doctors not listening to us not taking us seriously. And while that's changing, part of why I think it's changed is the ability of people to talk about this stuff freely and openly online. So I think that people just think that 2:30 um, allows the people they don't like to do to say things that they don't like or to not say things um, that they would that they uh, wish could happen. Um, but that's just not how it works. Um, one other really big misconception I want to address is that I think, some politicians mean this earnestly, but I also think a lot of politicians and even media realize that uh, social media is competition and they don't want competition. They don't want people to be able to find their news on social media and they don't want um criticism of their policies online um so when politicians see hey i can just go on tv and get my voice heard that way um and if we kind of crack down on social media it doesn't matter too much to me um that's you know th- that's kind of the way i think some of them are thinking about it and the last thing i'll say too is that um, people think somehow if you get rid of 230 it's it's just sticking it to facebook and twitter but every website is covered by 230. they might not use their 230 protections like if they don't have an online forum or something like that but um but every site's covered by it so you're just stopping competition because the big guys can handle liability far better than like your mom's blog or even places like all trails um they they moderate so it's only hiking content if i post politics there they're going to take it down and then they become liable for every crazy guy's post um so i think those are three big ones that i often see where they don't understand how uh 230 really works
3: Yeah, the trail- and, and uh, oh go ahead mike I was going to say I want to add one more to that because that that was great and that was like basically the exact same list that I was going to give. But I want to add one more that I think is important and often gets lost in the debate, which is that not only does Section 230 not just protect the big – companies and protects all the small websites, it also protects the users. You know, it it says there right in there, you know, no, no uh, provider or user of these services. And that means that you are protected, for example, when you forward an email. So if you forward an email that that has libelous content, you're not liable for forwarding it. If you retweet someone, if you, you know, share, reshare something on Facebook, all of those things, you're protected under 230. And in fact, there have been a few cases of people forwarding emails and getting sued for it. being protected by 230 because you know if you're just forwarding an email you haven't taken the time necessarily to go through and and examine like is this you know is is this information libelous in, in some way so it's it's not just that it protects the big companies I think that's a completely you know false belief out there it also protects you know you and me as individuals
2: yeah that's a really good one I I hadn't Thought of uh, the, the retweet uh, forwarding email mm-hmm. uh, exemption, uh, where it says you are just a distributor there, you know, like a bookstore. You're you're not the publisher uh, when you forward an email, and I and that's that's the thing I see people getting mixed up a lot is. When Facebook uh, is, you know, taking someone down, they're they're exercising editorial control and they're a publisher that isn't responsible for their own content. Uh, And correct me if I'm wrong, but if Facebook publishes something, if Facebook... Exercises, you know, their own voice. They are also still responsible for what they do. Uh, if it, it's not an exemption to Facebook's own actions, it's exemption from Facebook allowing other people to post on their platform, right?
3: Right. Yes. Absolutely. And in fact, that's that's an important distinction too. You know, there is this this incorrect belief that Two Thirty is this like complete you know, liability shield that Facebook is never, you know, cannot be sued under any condition for anything. And that's, that's just outright false. You know, their own content that they create, um, they, they are still liable for that. And and there's a, a famous case involving that, that was, you know, in, in the ninth circuit, which is the, the roommate's decision in which, um, th- there was an issue of, you know, roommates being a, a site to find Roommates, uh, mm-hmm. pretty obviously, uh, and they had a pull-down menu that um, let you sort by race, um, and that violates fair housing rules in in theory. And the question was, was that roommates that was responsible for that, or was that the you know person who was um, you you know uh, putting up a, an apartment to to sublet mm-hmm. or whatever? Um, and what the court found was that 230 did not protect roommates for that because they created the pull-down menu. It was right. their creation. It was their content. And therefore, that was not protected by 230. And so I think that's an important distinction.
2: It makes me wonder, if, if Facebook creates, which they are, a news section where they choose the stories that go in, are, would they be treated as a publisher in that case because they're making the selections? <laughs>
0: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Uh, okay, so uh, I am not a lawyer. Yeah, and we, yeah, we sure, yeah, gave Sean that blanket disclaimer at lawyer. the
2: top for the, the very purpose.
3: And so there, are, there would be a lot of uh, questions there that would 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 raise some issues, um, and so I would hesitate to say definitively there they would be protected under the First Amendment, and I think that's the most important point there um, because that's just a, a, a standard editorial choice in the same way that that how Google decides what. You know uh, what sites to show you when you do a search. That is protected under the First Amendment. And just like when the New York Times decides which stories they're going to put on the front page, that's a First Amendment choice. You cannot sue them over that under the First Amendment. So I think for the most part that would just be protected under the First Amendment. Whether or not it's also protected by two thirty, I don't think so. Though there. I I hesitate to say that because there are some arguments that if the way they were choosing was considered a form of moderation, there might be some elements that are protected by 230, but we're getting really deep in the weeds.
2: Shoshana, anything to add to to that question?
4: No, I think that's a great uh, point. And I also wanted to add that I, too, am not a lawyer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Going back to your your point about the trails message board, I, I sometimes think about Section 230 As protecting off topic. Uh, Nobody likes, you know, when somebody wanders into a forum or a message board and goes off topic, Section 230 protects you from saying like, hey, we're not talking about politics here. This is a hiking trail, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. And I know a lot of people think that it's all about politics and allowing, like, liberals or conservatives to do what they want, but that's such a small part of it. Um, Part of the reason I like to focus on these other, like, non-political forums is just because they're really important. I mean, whether it's Wikipedia, where everyone goes in and edits, um, and I used Wikipedia quite a bit in high school and now quite a bit as an adult, um, and all trails, which is literally how I don't get lost in the woods, as easily at least. Um, But you have people going in and editing the trails, showing which route to take. A lot of times there's comments saying, hey, there's bears active lately, like you (laughs) might want to be aware of that. Um, Even down to websites like Stack Overflow, where experts who know code share code. And I use that in my digital media work constantly. Um, But without that, you'd have tons of irrelevant content, Um, you know, if they would be liable for all the posts, more more than likely. Um, And of course, they're not going to want just irrelevant stuff or scams or other stuff. Um, but without 230, they're just probably not going to want to touch it, or they're going to allow so little in that you know it's they become less good resources. Um, and also with code, it, this is something I'm less well-versed in, but I know that there's some thought going into like, well, does someone own code? Can you use code? Can you share code in certain cases? Um, and there's no way for like Stack Overflow to know which code sharing is illegal versus not. Um, so I would suspect that they just want, wouldn't want to moderate anything. Um, and then they would just not you know it wouldn't become as useful a tool um and even for like parlor when they were starting out and even unfortunately well into their development they weren't moderating so much um but they did choose to moderate certain things um and even if it wasn't a great model they had the right to moderate in the way they saw fit and it didn't work out um but moderation uh, decisions are hard and they change over time um it's why you see um in Senate and House hearings, you'll have a Democrat saying, "How dare you not have taken down that post sooner?" And then um you'll have the Republican say, "Why <laughs> did you take that post down at all?" And it you know, just the the difficulty of it and the breadth of it is something that I think a lot of people don't understand.
3: Yeah, and I think you know one other like example of like a small website that I just saw recently that I was thinking about in this context was uh, a a forum site for magicians of all things, and and they have uh, a rule that you can't expose how how effects are done, and if they had to moderate under the First Amendment, that's not a violation of the First Amendment to expose how a magic trick is done. And yet, you know, they have this rule and they actively pull down anything that exposes how how different effects are done. And you're like, yeah, they should be able to do that. And that, you know, and they're protected under two thirty for that. But, you know, if if two thirty were removed, I don't know how that that would operate. You know, and so there's all these sort of weird, you know, edge cases. Everyone's so focused on the politics. Um, but you know, in most cases, you know, two thirty and what it allows has nothing to do with politics.
2: I was talking to somebody one day who who was uh, saying that you know all these platforms uh, you know control the speech and they and they need uh, to allow all the speech you know that's legal on there like Parler does uh, and I said I think your problem is is an antitrust problem not a Section two thirty <laughs> problem because what you're saying is they are effectively the only option and if and I used the example of should a Christian bookstore be forced to carry communist books? Uh, or, or atheist books. It may be even mm-hmm. a better example. Uh, I, and, and I don't think anybody would assume that the law should force them to, to carry any books. And that that's kind of, in my mind, what Section 230 is doing, is saying you get to decide uh, whose speech you're allowing on your platform. And if that platform is so dominant that other platforms can't exist, that isn't Section 230. That's antitrust.
3: Yeah, and, and there's there's a few different things uh, uh, around that, and you're exactly right to some extent. You know, uh, you know, one thing I'd like to say is that you know the a, a lot of people point to. I know you just read the the sort of section C1 of 230, mm-hmm. but a lot of people point to the the findings part, the section A of 230, which talks about you know wanting to create a diverse. Uh, discussion online as as proof of, of this idea that you have to leave up everything. But what the authors themselves, uh, Chris Cox and Ron Wyden, sort of bipartisan, at the time, members of Congress who wrote 230, um, have said is that no, that's not at all what they meant. Because, you know, what they wanted was every site to moderate in its own way. And you would get that diversity from different sites, not one giant, you know, site that everybody has to that has to allow everything uh, that you would you would have all these different sites that could take their own approach. And they even point out that, like, you know, the uh, Republican National Committee website shouldn't have to host uh, content from people screaming for Democratic policies and the Democratic National Committee website shouldn't have to uh, you know, post content from, from, you know, Trump Republicans demanding, you know, totally different viewpoints. Um, and so, you know, the, the question, the, the larger question then is, is, uh, you know, as you said, sort of this question of competition, is there enough competition? Do you have a platform? And, and, you know, there are all different ways of, of thinking about that, but like the truth is right now, you know if you don't have parlor or you don't have facebook there are other ways that you can get your voice heard and there are other you know uh, just all sorts of other ways to talk if if there is an antitrust question then that's that is a totally different issue but i do think that the 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 big mix up here is that 230 itself has created that situation where you have a dominant platform. And in fact, we did a study that came out last year, or not, well, now it's 2021, so two years ago, that um, that actually showed that 230 encouraged more competition, that, that laws like 230 enable there to be more of these different platforms rather than fewer. Because if you don't have that, the cost of moderating and the cost of running a platform becomes so high that you you consolidate and you only have a few of these providers out there. So if we're talking about it from an antitrust perspective, 230 actually enables there to be more uh, competition rather than less.
2: Yeah, it reduces the, the cost, right? Is that the argument? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, well,
3: I mean, there's a few things. It not only reduces the cost, but it also increases investment. And, and mm-hmm. we looked at the, the study that we did, looked at investment um, between a variety of different uh, regime, sort of you know intermediary liability, which is this the phrase that covers all this stuff. The different regimes that are used in the US. we look between CPA 230 and DMCA, like I said before with copyright. We looked between US and EU. We looked at different countries where the law changed and what happened before and what happened after. and and you could see that a change in these kinds of laws that puts more, Liability on the platforms reduces investment, reduces the number of platforms that are available. And so it decreases competition without, without sort of 230-like protections.
2: We've talked al- already about what would happen if 230 were just repealed and it wasn't there anymore. Can, can you think of any other examples that we haven't already touched on about that, either one of you? Uh,
3: of what it would look like if it was repealed? Yeah, if
2: we just took it out and it just wasn't there.
3: Uh, I mean, who knows? The real issue in in part is that then we'd have completely blank slate in terms of what the courts would rule. So what would you would have a mess in that there would be a whole bunch of lawsuits probably very quickly. And it Mm -hmm. would take, you know, three to five years probably before courts started ruling. And it would probably be a mixed bag and eventually the Supreme Court. So there would be this massive amount of uncertainty um and that's dangerous for a whole variety of reasons you know businesses operate on on uncertainty when there's more uncertainty you know they're going to be a lot more risk averse um and so you know i think because we we have you know 25 years in which there's been no case law on this because 230 has has you know made these companies immune you'd be opening up this this just complete wild west of of legal madness uh that i think would be very dangerous in in its own right
4: i totally agree and especially in the regulatory certainty point that's something that that's really close to my heart because my my main area of policy is often occupational licensing reform and regulation that um that deals with certainty and uh barriers to entry Um, we put up wild barriers to entry You know like um hair braiders need licenses and stuff so there's fewer hair braiders in states where you have to be licensed to be a hair braider um and and um, the lack of certainty too just businesses don't want to get involved if they don't know what's going to happen even during the pandemic the executive orders to waive certain regulations were really helpful but they're not going to create a good long-term impact because people are not going to want to deal with that regulatory uncertainty and it's something you see along all sectors Um, And because 230 is so good about providing that certainty and about uh, providing that ability for innovation, it's something that I've come to care about. Um, Usually I'm yelling at laws, but this is one I really, really like. Um, And I want that's part of why I'm so passionate about it. My digital media side and then my knowledge of how regulations work and change the way business works. um, it, It just brings a lot of passion here. Um, Especially just it it allows small competitors in other areas that are super overregulated or that have lots of liability. It's only bigger people that can compete. Um, The shortest way to make this into an antitrust issue is by um, (laughs) getting rid of 230 and uh, and letting only the big guys have a say.
3: And yeah. it's it's worth noting that that Facebook, you know, the the largest company in this space that we're talking about is the one that is most eager to to reform 230 because they know, you know, they know that they can handle it and that it will harm their competitors. And so for them, you know, this idea of, of repealing or they, you know they don't want to repeal it totally, but they do want to. They've said they want to reform it. Um, you know, they know that it will it will help them much more than any competitor.
2: So if you Want to help incumbent large social networks and increase pay for lawyers repeal
3: 230? Am I
2: reading that? Yeah. Yeah,
3: that's that's the slogan. (laughs) All
2: right. Uh, Before we finish up here, I'm curious from each of you, if you think Congress should in any way amend 230 or replace it or leave it alone. Shoshana, uh, I'd like to start with you.
4: No, it's my perfect angel. Um, and again, it's very rare for me to say that about laws, but I really like this one. Um, Mike ha- might have ideas on how to change it or make it better, but um, but I just really like this one.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, you know, if if I were to change it, I would do three things uh, and and no one is actually thinking of doing any of these three things so <laughs> there's no likelihood of this happening um, the first is that I would fix the one typo uh, <laughs> this, this is a focus of Jeff Kossoff who wrote the whole the <laughs> book on section 230 there is a typo they refer to the wrong section at one point nobody notices it except Jeff and now me because he tells me about and it now, yeah uh, everybody
2: lets go. great
3: so so I would fix the typo. Um, the second thing is I would actually, I would reverse the, the one change that has been made to Section 230, which is FOSTA, which was passed a few years ago, and it took away the liability um, on a, a broad set of, Uh, the liability protections on a broad set of content, um, which is described as having to do with sex trafficking. Um, but in reality has just been a huge pain for sex workers, um, and has made, you know, has put them at risk, um, has probably cost many lives. Uh, and there's no evidence that has actually done anything to help with actual sex trafficking. And in fact, law enforcement, uh, who you know, ridiculous somewhat ridiculously originally supported the change to 230 have now been complaining that they have less visibility into actual sex trafficking and therefore they cannot combat sex trafficking so i would roll that back um and then the third change, uh, and again, this is never going to happen, is you know I was comparing the DMCA 512 situation and the, uh, to CDA 230, and I think the CDA 230 approach is much better. I would extend – I would take out the exemption on, on intellectual property, and I would extend 230-like protections to copyright as well.
2: All right. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you know a little more about Section 230 now. Mike and Shoshana, thank you so much uh, for helping us understand this a little more. Uh, If folks want to find more of what you're doing, uh, Mike, where should
4: they go? Uh,
3: I am on TechDirt and uh, ever-present on Twitter at M.Masnick.
2: And Shoshana, what about you?
4: Um, rstreet.org, and I'm on uh, Twitter too much
2: Far too much. <laughs> at Senator Shoshana. Senator Shoshana. Great. Uh, thank you again both uh, for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you'd like to get more Daily Tech News Show, go to dailytechnewsshow.com. Uh, you can even support it directly without ads, com slash Patreon. Talk to you
0: soon. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?